All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Check, 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 one, two. Job in the podcast. Gun, scan. All right. Ready? Well, the reason I was gone the last week, I actually went on a little hockey trip with the Montreal Canadiens alumni. Can you believe that? I played one game for the Canadiens, and they want me to be on their alumni road tour, which is great. I'll take anything I can get. So they asked me to go out west this time, and we visited a small little town in northern BC called Oliver, British Columbia. We started there in the mountains. We went to Burnaby after that, and we finished up in Victoria. It was a fun trip. We got to play some uh, good hockey. We won all three games. We got to meet some nice people. I love going out west. It's so fun out there, especially when it snows like it did. It was just pretty, pretty cool. The lineup for the Habs was also it was pretty neat. Our coach was Steve Shutt. I think he won five or six Stanley Cups. We had, um, who else was there? Matthew Dandino won three cups. Patrice Brisebois won a cup. Um, Oleg Petrov, who was the goalie? We call him Rico. I'm not really sure. Richard Svenier. There's lots of really, really nice guys. There was 10 or 12 of us. So it was, it was a cool experience. It's always fun doing these, get to do those trips just because there's never any young guys. Excuse me if you hear my kids in the background. They're just going nuts all right now. I'll try to edit it out, but they're super loud. But anyways, yeah, it's always fun doing trips like that just because you get to pick the brains of the older guys and kind of contrast what they went through as players going through the league and stuff and what I went through. And it's just, it's so bizarre to hear the stuff that they did compared to what I did. And I, I feel so spoiled and bad talking about my stories. They talk about how they used to travel, how they used to have to work during the summer because they didn't get paid very much, how terrible their pension is, how like how rough it was back then. All the training they did not do, just like smoking cigarettes between the games or between periods even. So it's just bizarre to kind of contrast how much of a job it is now and how just it was almost like a hobby back then. If you were good at hockey, you played in the NHL. And if you you know, weren't good. You didn't play in the NHL. There was no like really big competition. It was like, okay, go play in the NHL. You're not going to make much money. It's super fun, but you know, go for it. So that's what I was doing. Uh, It was, it was a fun trip. I, I was gone for four or five days, but it's always nice to come back to beautiful, beautiful Traverse City, Michigan. I'm here with Larry, my man and John, my other man. We're glad to be back today. I'm going to talk about the majority of the time, my old team, the San Jose Sharks. They've been in the news lately, mostly for a couple of milestones. I thought it'd be fun to go back and talk about my time there, talk about what they're doing this year, what their chances are to win the Stanley Cup. 
as I prophesize about the the sharks. So yeah, we 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 can start with my guy Brent Burns. He just played his one thousandth game, which is quite a feat these days, just because of the turnover with players and the amount of guys shuffling in and out and how fast and competitive and hard the game has gotten lately. And it's a pretty pretty uh, rare feat these days to have a guy play a thousand games. So backstory: when I first got into the league. Burnsy, I think, was in his second or third year in Minnesota. And I remember coming into that year into the training camp and looking at this guy, and I was just thinking to myself, man, this guy is probably one of the most talented players I've ever seen in my whole life. But he was just so uncontrollable, unpredictable, and really like a loose cannon. And no one really knew where his career was going to go from there because When he played juniors, he played forward. Then when he got to the NHL, they tried to shift him to defense just because he was a big guy. He skated well. They thought he would work well on defense. But then that didn't work out in Minnesota, so they they kind of flopped him back to forward. And they didn't know where to put him because when he was on defense, he would take too many chances. He would create chances, but then he would kind of nullify them by pinching in and doing something silly and getting scored on. So it was kind of... um, a give and take with him where he was so, so talented, but he also made so many stupid mistakes where the coaches were just kind of stretch, scratching their head because you have this talent and they didn't know how to harness it. And I remember the coach at the time was Jacques Lemaire, a hall of fame, legendary coach. He's won like a hundred Stanley cups. And he would just have these conversations with Burns. He's like, Burnsy, you could be the best defenseman in the league. If you would just stay back don't do anything stupid. Like just play your position and just make smart passes. Like you would be unstoppable. But Bernsey, when, when he gets on the ice, he just becomes this like almost like when you have a caged animal and then all of a sudden you open up the doors and he just like runs and he goes and he's just like this wild animal running around the ice. And that's what he would do. He would be unpredictable. So I met Bernsey my first year and he was having a good year. And the things we would do in Minnesota, for some reason, we would wrestle a lot. And by what I say by we is I, I was a rookie, so I really didn't partake in any of it just because I was, you know, scared rookie, just trying to find my way. I didn't want to insult or step on anybody's toes. But Bernsey would like literally wrestle everybody on the team. And he would take on all comers. He would wrestle trainers. He would wrestle assistant coaches. He would wrestle players. He would wrestle stick the stick boys, everybody. He loved it. He got really big into UFC that year. He trained in the off season with a gym in town that was um, a mixed martial arts gym called Minnesota Top Team, who I trained with after that and who is an unbelievable gym. So if you ever get a chance in Minnesota to go train with uh, with them, check them out. They're Minnesota Top Team, and they were down in Egan, Minnesota. And, I, yeah, Bernsey introduced me to them, and they were – this unbelievable gym. I never really trained. I'm going off on a tangent here. I never really trained for, I guess, I don't want to say hockey because I trained for hockey, but it was one of my first glimpses into going the extra mile and training. I just done the team will give you this book and you do whatever's in the book. And that's, you know, that's what you do. But this was the first time when I went there with Bernsey and actually Derek the boogeyman was with us too. We all trained for a few summers together. I learned and I just kind of figured out what goes into being a, 
a good, good hockey player who was like in shape and the, the workouts we would do down there were insane. We would box, we would wrestle, we would do like weird karate stuff where we'd put on geese and throw each other around and try not to like hit the ground. And these were three big men. I'm six, eight boogie was six, eight Bernsey was probably six, four, six, five. And we would like just go at each other. And I tell you, nothing is scarier than having a wiry Brent Burns. Who's all jacked up on energy coming at you with like fists and feet and everything trying to knock you down. It was like, it was legit scary, but it was fun. So anyways, we, uh, we would do that. So Bernsey, he started doing that that summer and he loved wrestling and he loved to wrestle guys in the locker room. And so he would tap guys out left and right. And he would tap everybody out, old guys, young guys. We had Owen Nolan on the team. He tapped him out. He'd do the young guys. And one day I walked into the trainer's room and he had just finished tapping out our trainer, um, Tony DaCosta. And I was like, Bernsey, let me, uh, let me give you a go. And so he's like, all right. He was confident. And I am, I'm deceptively strong. I don't look like I have much muscle on me, but it's like old man strength where I don't look like I'm jacked or anything, but I'm actually fairly strong. So me and him started going at it and he tried to take my back. He tried to trip me, tried to do all these things, but I kept kind of defending because I had my length and my, you know, lanky limbs and he kept trying to shoot the leg and I would, you know, throw him off of me. And I could tell he was getting frustrated. This was going on for a few minutes. And finally, I got his back and I choked him out. He went He went down, he went out, he tapped out. And I was still, I think to this day, the only person to ever tap out Bernsey because he is just like a physical freak who takes on all comers. And he's just, you know, he's a little kid when he does that stuff. So anyways, that was my topping of Brent Burns' story. After that, no one messed with me in the room and he never even came near me. Which was which was great, which is funny. I don't know. It's it's fun to look back on those things now, and then you see him ten years later, and he's played a thousand games. He's won the has he won the Norris Trophy? I don't even know. I don't think he has won it, but he's been nominated a few times. He's made the All Star game five six times in a row, and he's arguably the best team best player in the league, which is which is unreal from where he came from. So congrats to Bursey on the thousand games, and it makes you think about. It's it's fun to share stories. I don't know. Whenever I look back on my time in the in the NHL, I always just think about the stories. I never think about the games or this and that. I always think, oh, well, Burnsy, like what what stands out to to me about him? It's like, okay, let's see. When I first met him, he was big into animals. Everybody knows that. But what I don't think people know is how he literally transformed his whole house into a zoo. Not the house he has now in San Jose. Not the ranch he has in Texas when he literally has like a stinking African zoo back there. His house in Minnesota, he changed that whole house into his own like jungle African safari, whatever you want to call it. He changed the pool into like a grotto where he had these big lizards. I went over there one time and I show up and I'm like, where's Bernsey? And he's out back swimming in his pool slash pond. And he's like, I got to get my lizard because he had this big, massive lizard and he lets it go in the pool. And he's like, I can only get it when it's tired out, when it's blood or blood gets cold and it can't move. So it'll go and sit on a rock to heat up. And he's like, I got to get it now because I won't be able to get it once it gets heated up and starts moving around again. So he was literally swimming across his pond pool to grab this three, four foot long lizard to bring it to his house. Cause he's like, it's kind of paralyzed right now. Cause it's too cold to move. 
And so that's, that's my first introduction to his house. And then we go inside and we go in his basement and he has, he's like, come on down. We'll, we'll feed the snakes. I'm like, what? So he has, he had about 150 snakes in his basement. Then they all had, like, it was a legit setup where he, they all had their own tanks and terrariums where they're all well, well cared for. It wasn't like they were, you know, stuffed in a box or anything. They all had like amazing facilities. He had a massive room in his basement for them. And I'm like, well, what do we feed them? What do we have? And he pulls out this drawer and he has like almost a hundred mice in there. He's like, oh no, you know, I breed mice. I breed crickets. And he breeds all these things that he wants to feed them. So he pulls out a mouse, drops it in his tank. And then there's a big Python in there. And it wasn't like the, what's that movie? The road trip where Tom Green's like, you're here for the feeding. It wasn't like that. It was more like uh, we put the mouse in there and the stinking snake didn't touch it. And the mouse was crawling all over the snake's nose and mouth and body. And we're sitting there like, eat the stinking mouse. Like, do something. It never happened. There was no bloodbath. There was no feeding. There was nothing. It was a, a huge letdown. But then we went back five minutes later and the mouse was gone. So maybe the snake was just a shy eater where he doesn't like to eat in front of people. He was a very polite snake. And another room in his house, he had birds, like cockatoos and parrots. And he transformed his whole upstairs into like a bird sanctuary where he put stuff hanging from the ceilings and random things for the birds to do. He didn't put them in cages. He literally just had them in a massive upstairs where the birds could fly everywhere. They would take shits everywhere. It was kind of gross, kind of school. That was the scariest room for me just because the birds had free reign to fly anywhere and they would like dive at you and stuff. It was it was a little shady. Then he had dogs and what else? He had so much random stuff. It was bizarre. And that's the one thing I loved about Bernsey. It's so funny. He's going to think I like have a crush on him. He was just like this little kid who, if he had a, if he just got into something a little bit, he didn't just say, oh, I'm going to, you know, get in a little bit. He would go full on all in, like just do whatever he can to buy everything about that thing that he was into. He got into soccer one time. He bought every single Jersey of every team in Europe, bought every single scarf, bought every single pennant and just went to town, bought everything. He got into swords another time, bought every single sword on the market. He would go online and just buy swords. He got into biking for working out. He didn't just buy a nice bike. He didn't just buy a mountain bike. He bought like Lance Armstrong's bike that cost like $10,000 and would bike around Lance Armstrong's bike. It was like, that's the kind of guy he was. He, He would just go all in. He was super passionate about everything. And that's why I think people love him. But anyways, enough of like the love fest for Bernsey. We were talking about the sharks, right? The sharks. Okay. So that was a big milestone for Bernsey, the thousand games. And then another one that just happened was Jumbo. He just passed Gordy Howe in assists. I believe last week, I think he jumped into fifth all time in assists, which is like a huge feat. And when I think of, it's funny, when you think of the great players throughout the league, Jumbo, for some reason, never comes into play. Oh, excuse me. he came, He's now into ninth all-time in assists. My, my guy Larry just came up with an amazing stat. He has 1,050 just past Gordie Howe with 1,049. And it looks like he's going to pass Eiserman. He'll pass Oates. He might pass Paul Coffey if he plays next year. He's going to be like maybe top five in assists all time, which is unbelievable. Considering when you talk about the all-time best players, 
Jumbo very rarely gets brought up, which is bizarre to me because of his long, just because he hasn't won a cup. Let's be honest. He hasn't won a cup. And when you talk about great players, that's always the thing people hang their hat on. It's like, well, has he won a cup? Well, has he won a cup? And that's the one thing that's missing from his trophy case, which is sad because I think he's had one of the greatest careers ever. And what people don't get is he is probably the best teammate you could ever have. Every guy I've talked to, whenever I bring up Jumbo, they're like, the guy's a legend. Like, he's unbelievable. And one of the first times I met Jumbo, I I came into San Jose. And I came into San Jose after they they went up 3-0 to L.A. in the playoffs, and then they got swept four straight. And that was the year they were supposed to win the Cup. They had the team. They were going to go all the way. And then I think that's the year L.A. won the Cup if I'm not mistaken. So they they just wanted to overhaul everything. Everyone kind of placed the blame on Jumbo because he was the captain. He was the one steering the ship. And the coach and the GM needed the scapegoat because they were trying to save their job. And they just placed all the blame on Jumbo. And they're like, you know what? He didn't lead us. We're going to take the C from him. So at the end of the day, they try to take away the C from him because they had a failed season. They didn't do what they wanted to do in the playoffs. They had an epic collapse where they lost four straight to their arch rivals and heads needed to roll. Something needed to happen. The GM, the coach probably got together and were like, well, listen, we need to save ourselves. What can we do? Well, who's the easy scapegoat? Usually it's the coach. You know, he gets fired. Usually it's the GM. Those are the two main suspects when people need to get fired. You can't fire a a player. They're under contract. So they came up with the idea, well, here, here's a great idea. Let's strip Jumbo of the C and give it to Joe Pavelski, which in theory sounds great, but it's the biggest crock you can do to a team, especially one with that much success, who has that much veteran leadership. They had Patty Marlowe. Like you have guys who have been around the league for years and for them to say, you know what? Suck it, Jumbo. We're not giving you the C anymore. We're going to give it to Pavelski, but they couldn't. It was so, so weird. So I, I went in there first day and you could just tell there was so much tension in the room. The coach would walk through. No one would talk to him. The GM would walk through. No one would look at him because everybody was so pissed off by what was happening. The players hated the idea. One, We had a meeting one time where the GM came in and he talked to us. Doug Wilson, he's still a GM there. Great guy. Like he's done wonders with that team, but he messed up this situation big time. He came into the room and he said, well, here's the issue. You know, we thought it'd be good going forward to strip the C from Jumbo and we don't know who we're going to give it to, which was complete BS also because they had talked to Pavelski earlier that summer and said, we're going to give the C to you. So he was lying to the team. It was a known fact that Pavs was going to be the captain and everybody, even Jumbo. It's like, fine, just don't be, you know, a baby about it. Don't hide behind Joe or anybody else. Just, you know, be a man about it. Say, we're taking it from you. We're giving it to Pavelski. Not a big deal if he would have done it that way. But no, he was a chicken. And I love Doug. You know, he was great to me. But in my opinion, he totally messed up that situation. He came into the room. He said, you know, we don't know what we're going to do. We want you guys involved in the selection. Should we go without a captain the whole year? What should we do? Should we give it to Marlo? Should we give it to Scott Hannon? Should we give it to Burnsy, Mark Edward Vlasic, Joe Pavelski, Justin Braun, Logan Couture. Like we had an unbelievable team with veterans. That could have been a great, great year. But this is what happens when you have, it starts from the top. It trickles down, right? If you have a messed up upper tier management, 
it trickles down to the players and it's you you see it on the ice. That team went from being a Stanley Cup contender and then the next year we were garbage because of all the outside stuff that happens. And it just goes to show you if you have a solid ownership, solid GM, solid coach, if all that's intact, you're going to have a good team because you have stability. The players know, you know, where they get their marching orders from and it's easy. You can just go out and play. But when the coach and the GM and the owner and everybody's kind of at each other's neck and there's this and that and people are lying and telling players one thing and telling another players another thing and then doing another thing in the media, it's a joke. That's why I Jumble went out in the press and said something about, I can't remember what he said about Doug, but everybody like got all, all hot and bothered about it. And it was just like, no, like the GM and the coach are idiots in this situation. So anyways, Doug said this to the team in the locker room. We don't know who we're going to give the seat to. Why don't you guys, you know, talk about it amongst yourselves and get back to us. And so they left and we had a team meeting, one of a hundred meetings we had that year because it was such a, a shit show. So we we did a vote and it wasn't a uni- um, a silent vote. It wasn't a, a hidden vote. I know I'm the words missing me now, but we we voted just in front of everybody and we went around the room and we said, who do we think should be captain? And I had, like, I had been there all of a week. And so I'm watching all these guys, you know, do their votes. And every single guy voted for Jumbo. Every single guy. Pavelski voted for Jumbo. Every guy voted for Jumbo. And it just went to show you, like, listen, the team, they want Jumbo as captain. It's a no-brainer. But now the GM has kind of put his foot in the fire. He'd already stripped the captaincy from Jumbo in the media, and he didn't even talk to Jumbo before that. He just did it. You stripped the captain from his legend, who's the face of your franchise, just because you got your pee-pee whacked four games, and now you want to, you know, blame somebody. So you blame Jumbo. Instead of falling on the sword yourself, you be the coward and blame your captain, who's like one of the best players ever, and you say, oh, we're going to take the captain from him because he's not a leader, which is insane. This guy is one of the best leaders I've ever played for. He's on par with the Jonathan Taves. Like this guy, I would go through a wall for. I, and I only played with him for one year. If I saw Jumbo on the street today and five guys were jumping him, I would go in there and have his back. Like this guy is a stand-up, top-notch guy. That's that's how I feel about Joe Thornton. He's the guy who still texts me to this day. What's going on, big guy? Like how you doing? That's how he is. He's just an awesome, awesome guy. So, anyways, they they do him dirty, and we have this vote. We say we want Jumbo. We, we give that to the coach. I went and talked to the coach because I had been around the league. I say, listen, like this is kind of messed up. You should make right and kind of, you know, tuck your tail and say we made a mistake. The team wants Jumbo. We made a mistake. Let's just backtrack and we'll make him the captain. If he does that, we have a completely different season and who knows what happens. But no, they take the cowards way out again and they just don't do anything. And then a few weeks into the season or a month, I don't know when it was, they go, yeah, we're going to make Joe Pavelski captain which is perfectly fine. Pavs is a great guy, unbelievable guy, great leader, but the way they went about it was brutal. I don't know. I don't know why I got on this tangent. We're talking about how great Jumbo is. I just think that was a really messed up situation. And I don't know. I love the guy. That's why I thought that situation was so bad. But anyways, Jumbo just hit a milestone, probably going to hit a few more in his career. The San Jose Sharks, where they're at right now, they are surging. Carlson's coming along. He's back from his injury. Kane is playing lights out. He's living up to that big contract they gave him in the offseason. I think the much like other teams in the league, will their goalie 
play well in the playoffs. Jones, you know, he's a solid goalie, but there's always that but. Will he make the easy save? He's been known to let in the fluff one every now and again, and I think we've seen it throughout the league. If you do not have confidence in your goalie, that changes the way you play. Look at St. Louis now. They For years, they had one of the most talented teams in the league. They didn't have a goalie. They tried to get every goalie on the market. They got Miller. They got, they got Brodeur for Pete's sake. They got Allen and all these other guys. None of them were consistent enough for them to get over that hump. And now they have a goalie who's making saves. They're a little more confident. They've been winning. They're the hottest team in the NHL since, gosh, the last couple of months, since Christmas. It's It's crazy. So that's the big question with San Jose. Will they get the goaltending they need? They have the defense. They have arguably one of the top four D in the league with Bernsey, Carlson, Vlasic, Braun. Like that's, you know, that's right up there. That's with the the Nashvilles, the Winnipegs. Like that is a solid, solid top four. Can they get the secondary scoring, which they have been with Jumbo anchoring the third line now? They've been lights out. Can they get the goaltending? I think they have the complete package. They have the right mix of veterans, young guys. This is the year. The West is, you know, not as strong as it used to be. The Anaheims, the LAs are struggling. Every team in Canada, except for Winnipeg, is kind of a joke. Everyone, you know, Calgary is, it's a cute story. They're not going to go anywhere. They don't have the goaltending. I think this is the year, San Jose, if they put it together, Vegas, you know, their Cinderella story, that's kind of gone. No one's taking them lightly anymore. It's pretty much a three horse race, in my idea. San Jose, Nashville, Winnipeg. I think whoever wins out of the West has a pretty good chance of winning the cup. And I hope it's San Jose. I really do. I really do. I love that team. Love the fan base. Love everything about them. All right, boys. That's it. My ranting about Jumbo. I had a great story about him after beers after the game. We'll get to another time. I hope everybody has a good week. And uh, cheers. This episode is sponsored by Minnesota Top Team, located in Egan, Minnesota. I worked out here. Other NHL stars work out here. There's no gimmicks, no fast track stuff, just hard work, great coaching and programs that work for everybody. They do jujitsu, boxing, CrossFit. They have personal training, yoga, whatever you want, they have it for you. Check it out. Minnesota Top Team in Egan, Minnesota. MinnesotaTopTeam.com. 